Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. We're back on the Oz Network for another episode of 24, another hour of 24, uh, and we'll see if we can keep it under an hour. Probably not, because uh, there's way more to talk about than there is to show on screen, because this is the important part. <laughs> Everybody who watches the show, that's just the warm up for us, where we get to go on twice as long and be about half as entertaining. Uh, we are up to episode number 13 of season five, which I'm hosting, by the way. I'm Colin, uh, <laughs> hosting the episode. <laughs> Very well prepared for Is that, is for that it. your intro? Or? <laughs> That's all, not, not quite there yet. I'm hosting the episode. I'm Colin. <laughs> I'm Colin. There we go. Um, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, from season five, the March 13th, 2006 episode. I don't know, you, you probably have some facts ready for this because... Oh, uh, shit. Yeah, that. Uh, I, if I if I knew I was hosting, I would have facts prepared, but I barely didn't know I was hosting. Um, with, this is directed by Brad Turner, written by Joel Cernow, Michael Osef, and uh, it has Tony maybe dying? We don't know. Oh. Um, still to be decided. Uh, and lots of other stuff happening, too. Somebody does die, uh, just not Tony. My name is Colin, and we're all going to die because you were embarrassed. And my name is Ben, and you know how things work here on the Oz Network. We don't quit until it's over. I thought we were going to all it's go with now, the, okay? the Chloe one about the whole like, oh, well, I woke up this morning with a man in my bed, I, and I, I wanted that, but I didn't write it down verbatim. So. I, I, I I was saving that. I'm like, you know what? This sounds like it's a bed line, so yeah. <laughs> save it for you. Just, you just didn't use it. Quickly on March 13, um, Apollo 9 returned safely to Earth. After testing the lunar uh, module in, 19, in 2006? In 1969, that one was, Colin. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, Breonna Taylor was killed on this day. I don't think we want to touch that one. Uh, President Donald Trump <laughs> declares the COVID-19 pandemic to be a national emergency in the United States, also on this day in 2020. And um, the Cuban student revolutionaries stormed the presidential palace in Havana in a failed attempt on the life of President Fulgencio Batista. In 1957, so uh, so yep. outside of episode 13 airing, nothing really newsworthy ever happened. It wasn't on March Connie, It wasn't Connie Britton's birthday, but it was William That's... H Macy's birthday. So oh yeah, and you know what? I I just spent last night watching about half of the cast of Air Force One uh, who had been on 24, along with William H Macy and Harrison Ford. Oh, uh, what a man! Great way to spend the evening. Um, anyways, outside of William H. Macy's birthday, <laughs> season five, episode 13 happened at 24. And uh, I think we both kind of mentioned last week, like these two episodes, it's not like you, you think they're the same episode, but like they, they definitely blend together. This is a two-parter and we had the cliffhanger last week and this is sort of the second half of it. Uh, and it is the more action packed half, but I think we both were much higher on last week's episode. 
Uh, I don't know, maybe you, you totally turned around on this about three months after you watched it the last time. But uh, I I still think this is hands down one of the best episodes of the year. I don't even know how high it's going to make it on my rankings. But uh, there's just something so fantastic about the buildup to this. And then there's just one little plot that gets in the way of this one being like an absolutely classic episode, uh, which will come mostly on the end of it. But I don't know. Any, any change in uh, feelings for you? Not really. You summed it up. I mean, I, I say this is the most controversial episode in the history of 24. And that's based on the closing moments because I don't think there was ever a fan backlash as much as there was on this episode, on any other episode, even more so than Jack's dad and, you know, Cougars and everything along those lines. Because I think as we touched on with the Cougar episode, I feel that one didn't really get the hate it got until a little bit later on. Whereas like this episode immediately was just like shat upon. And even sort of when you read like Howard Gordon and John Kazar's opinions and thoughts and and even how they were in the media around what happened at the end. And I feel that's where the majority of the talking point will come from. Like even they, I think, realized they fucked up and were trying to cover it up. Um, so yeah, there's a lot around this episode. And I also think that, you know, the ending of this episode with everything we'll talk about, particularly for the character of Tony, this should have been Tony's last episode. This this should have been it. They should have killed him because there's really not anything great about him from this point on. But outside of that, yeah, there's so much good about this episode. I think uh, there's another potential top five. I mean, even the Tony quote death is up there for a top five, but there's a lot around this to like. I mean, it's a bit, there's a lot of plot holes in this episode. If you really want to kind of nitpick, which I'm sure we will, but Outside of the stuff that we will, it's it's still a solid. It's still going to rank very highly on the list of great episodes, not only of this list, but in the entire history of 24. But I think it's it's a great episode with an asterisk next to it. Yeah, and really, in all fairness, the asterisk next to it, it's for just little things. It, yeah. It's nothing major. And when I was kind of going through my rankings just to see where this would land, uh, I had other episodes around this where I'm like, well, in all fairness, I had just as many issues with that one. So uh, I think I- I'm going to have to focus a lot on the positives. It's just coming off last week, which was just a perfect episode into this, where this one probably should on the surface have more going for it. And maybe there's just a couple of letdowns. But like, there are some moments in this, which uh, there's, there's definitely at least one other moment in this episode, which I think uh, I'll fight for for a top five moment. Um, it's going to be a hard get, season for top five. This is going to be impossible. <laughs> we got to expand to a top 50 this season or yeah. something. Uh, so just like last week, I feel like this one is best to go through chronologically. Uh, we might as You're well. You're only doing that has, because it's the smart it has, thing. Got nothing to do with your preparation for this episode. It has nothing all. to do with the fact that I thought that Ben was hosting <laughs> this episode. Colin literally says to me, You're hosting. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah there we go uh i'm hosting this episode and i'm well prepared for it. but actually it does make sense to go through this one chronologically because everything's all tied to i mean outside the logan stuff so i guess maybe we could just talk about the logan stuff on its own so are you for that ben i am for it, colin hilding i so su- i support your life choice you, good you my life choice be proud is all about your own Charles identity logan. <laughs> uh so Logan and Gardner are still talking uh, about uh, martial law and Gardner just makes more and more sense. Like he's bringing up points we brought up last week. Like Logan's still hesitant and there might be reasons why Logan wants to be hesitant towards this will still be revealed later on uh, with later on the season that is. But uh, when Gardner says exactly what we said last week, if you really are hesitant, 
Just say it's because of the attack of the Ontario airport. Mm. That gives you justification for martial law. I'm like, yeah, we said that. Along with the Suvorov motorcade Which being ambushed. forgotten about. Can we just say the <laughs> Russian president, once again, was nearly assassinated <laughs> on US soil. But oh, he's just, he's watching the game now. He's fine. I mean, if you had one attack, let's just say, okay, that's just terrorist attack. Those, whatever, those are just ambushes. We had Centox nerve gas actually let out in a mall, a crowded mall. A couple people died. Uh, at least went to the hospital. I'm going to assume some of them died, just not children. Uh, and then you evacuated another hospital. You were able to contain it, but you now have two locations. You should have declared martial law the second that the that second hospital was even targeted. Yeah. Uh, so Gardner makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, but uh, Logan's kind of humming and hawing about it. Uh, so Mike just has uh, one of his great scenes with Martha. I think this is, uh, it seems like every season there's, maybe a pairing of actors together that I never quite, I'm not going to say I wasn't sold on, but I, I wasn't as high on until I rewatch it now. But Mike and Martha, like their scenes, this is two weeks in a row where they're stealing the entire episode. Uh, him trying to convince her and, and the dialogue. I mean, I'll give a lot of credit. There's some bad writing in this episode, but there's also some really solid writing, particularly in this scene. The way that he's saying, it's like, listen, you can advise him on things that I can't. You know, you can be an ear or he he can listen to you in a way that he's not going to listen to me and him kind of petitioning her for this. Uh, and then it just ends up, I guess, coming down to her trying to sell Charles on. Maybe you do need to declare martial law or maybe, maybe you shouldn't declare martial law or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, it's, it's some good scenes, but it's just holdover from last week. And this is still going to play out over at least one more week from what I remember. But not martial law, the TV show starring Lisa McCune. <laughs> or Samuel Hung uh, <laughs> bring back bring last. back martial law with Lisa McCune and Willem McInnes <laughs> and that uh, what was that other woman's name she was Tasmanian she was a good actress anyway um, still is Tasmanian I'm sure she didn't just like rescind her Tasmanian citizenship that joke fell flat Ben um, yeah I don't have a whole lot like you're right like it's kind of Gardner's got all the points we talked about that last week I think th- this is a, another one of those episodes though to me where Again, when we get this great reveal about Logan, this is an episode when you know what happens that this just shows that they didn't plan this because he's too like just the way he's reacting and the way he's talking to Martha. And again, you could put your ins and outs about this, but I just feel like, again, I I just go back to the Nina situation. There's no, no significant scene with Nina in season one that you can't explain away that she's still evil. Whereas this to me... It's like, oh, they didn't know at this point. We're meant to be believing how. I mean, they, they might have at this point. They might have been like, well, you know, we, we think we're going down this path, but let's make them believe that Hal's evil, right? Because, you know, that's the way they've got to go. But I don't know. There are just so many things of this in hindsight. If you know the path they're going with Logan, it just it makes me a bit like, mm, this doesn't really fit with that character, what happens later in the season. The one thing that I love about this situation, though, which I, I don't know how to explain it. They're in this compound, right? So when Martha confronts Mike... And she's like, what's going on, Mike? What's happening? Why is Mike on the phone to Gardner when, like, he's, I think, just walked out of the room with Gardner? Like, there's no, like, he's literally, like, on the phone to the vice president who's probably next door. Like, I don't understand that. Can you hear me right now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mike, hi, I'm just right here. Like, I mean, I know this is like the, you know, the mid-2000s when money wasn't a problem, right? We hadn't had a recession yet. But, I mean, the phone bills there at the White House must be through the roof. <laughs> Like AT&T, oh, another charge for the, you know, cell. This is back in the day when cell phone bills were expensive, right? You didn't get like all this these free calls. This is how they kill time. It's like, 
Gardner, I spy with my little eye <laughs> a blonde first lady. <laughs> oh, it's it's just funny, but um, yeah, I think like it's I, we do get it for a few more weeks, but I think like because Gardner is around basically until the reveal, um, because there is definitely an episode where it's all but confirmed that Gardner's evil. Um, when obviously spoiler alert, he's Bruce, but um, yes, that's all I have to add on that. All right, so in CTU, where everything else happens, uh, the first thing that they're doing is they have the guy who... I want to find out where this guy is. Is he, is he in one of the lockdown rooms where this is this is the voice uh, over the intercom? It's like, CTU Los Angeles has been contaminated with Centox V1 nerve gas. If you're experiencing symptoms, please step away from Press the others. one. <laughs> it's like that Simpsons 911. Like if you, what's a computer? It's like, you have called 911. Are you experiencing the following crimes? <laughs> to report regicide. Press yes. six. <laughs> I've been watching, I just, I just get bored before I go to sleep. I just literally on YouTube and it just, it's all my history now. It's like random Simpsons <laughs> clips, volume 17. And the one that I sent the other day, which I completely forgot about. All right, kids, back to Winnipeg. Back to Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, this guy over the intercom, like to me, the funniest thing is, isn't the fact that he's over the intercom. Like, where is this guy? Is he, you know, uh, a division and they just patched him through. But it's the fact that he's identifying the rooms is like, Safe rooms are boardroom number six, Bill Buchanan's office. Like, so who are you announcing this to? Because anybody who's alive is already in those rooms. Like, if you're hearing this message and happen to not be dead, please make your way to and room Jenny number 12. He's like, yes. And then like, and room number like, fuck, I'm done. <laughs> uh, and, and then they start uh, talking about how, uh, oh, we need some backup relief at CTU because they've been oh. attacked. And they're saying like, Oh, um, oh yeah, all of our manpower is, power is tied up at the hospital still. The <laughs> hospital was cleared like three hours ago. Love, what is there for them to do? I love Curtis on the phone, like, oh, I'll be there in about half an hour. Bill's like, Curtis, it's not enough time, we're going to die. He's like, I'm trying my best, Bill. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's the only one at the hospital who did anything, and he's the only guy on the way back? Like, what are yeah. the rest of them doing? <laughs> yeah. There are, again, um, we should be marking down the plot holes in this episode, as good as it is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Lynn is locked in the room with a security guard. I, I don't know why Lynn's room. Is he not a Baldwin? Does he not look like he should this be related? Guy's a Baldwin? I don't think he is, but he looks like he should be a Baldwin. Does he not look like he's got that oh, Baldwin face? I'm going to have to look at him. What's, what's his name? I'm like, going to uh, look uh, at him. <laughs> Gerald Baldwin. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's Crew cut separatist, uh, unnamed CTU no, staffer. He's got uh, a name. Isn't it Harry Swinton? Isn't that who it is? Rick Burke. No, that was the, no, it's um, the other guy. It is. So Harry Swint. Peter, Peter Holden. Holden. Yeah, not Peter uh, Baldwin. Now I'm going to see. Uh, <laughs> uh, Peter Holden. He does look like a Baldwin. You're right. Right. Like, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, is that like Jeff Baldwin? <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> he really what does. What else is good old Peter Holden? Because I'm going to, I'm going to have some criticism for Peter Holden here. I'll also have some praise for him. He was in the Dark Knight Rises, the social network. Oh. Uh, he played Applied Applied Sciences Tech number one in the ah, Dark Knight Rises. That's who he was. He was a co-founder uh, of Rat Bastard Productions. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. He um, He's not a Baldwin, but uh, <laughs> I, am I the only one who, this first scene here with Lynn where he's like, so we're all going to die because you were embarrassed. I'm just like, this does not seem like the reaction that somebody should have. Like, get me know. some emotion. Later on when he's on the phone with his family, I like that, you know? 
But this first one, it, it, and in a way, if you're going to play it as a joke, it's like that scene uh, people can listen to the best of Mission Impossible recap, which um, probably came out a couple of days ago, uh, where uh, we had, uh, I, I don't remember if made the best of, but there's the part in one of the movies where Jeremy Renner's like, uh, so we fail miserably and we're all going to die. I am so happy. <laughs> it's like that like, this dry reading of what should be a very dramatic line. Uh, but I mean, Lynn basically owning up. Oh, well, I thought they only stole my wallet. And this is the first point in the season where I'm angry at Lynn. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this guy's going to die because of you. <laughs> I'm getting angrier than Peter Holden is. Uh, <laughs> Peter don't want to knock him too much because Peter Baldwin here. Uh, he'll have some good uh, scenes later on. But he just he sounds too relaxed delivering that. Um, I, I do wonder. So Tony is now <laughs> after Henderson. Uh, and I wonder if the original plan of Peter Weller only be available for three episodes was there, would they have just had Tony kill him off last week and maybe use Tony as the one to sacrifice himself this week instead of Lynn? Like, I don't know what their plan was because this obviously had to be very rushed with Peter Weller from the point they started filming until the end of his third episode. That's when he's like, oh, I'll stick around. Uh, so they obviously had a different plan and probably even had different scripts out there. I think it would have required Tony just killing Henderson. Uh, it would make sense. Uh, but then, you know, you're writing Tony out. So has Tony become Lynn? Did they have to cut uh, Sean Astin's or episodes in half? I don't know. Um, I don't know about that. So again, just like Peter Baldwin, there's certain <laughs> scenes with Carlos Bernard here. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is good. And then there's other scenes like where he just suddenly goes all Rambo, which is really one of the things that drags this episode down. Like, it's not like. You, you don't have moments where you sympathize with them, but it's it just everything feels too out of character for Tony. And yeah. Tony's the one character in CTU that you should be feeling this is in character for, because this is the guy back in season three or whatever that ruined his own life <laughs> for Michelle. So you should believe he's willing to go to these lengths, but it's just none of this makes sense to me. And it, it, it's maybe it is partly partly Carlos Bernard just, you know, uh, I don't know, phoning it in. Uh, maybe he didn't want to be written off. I don't know, but it, this, this Tony goes Rambo stuff doesn't work at all. Uh, but then when Jack's on the phone with him, like this is what saves it. So as he's getting ready to kill Henderson, Jack calls him up and Jack gives probably the most, I would say this is up there with like the Kim scene last week, maybe even more. So this is, I'm trying to think about how many other times in 24 Jack has literally like bared his soul. Like he's like, all right, I'm going to be vulnerable here. I'm going to tell you, it's like I, I of all people know how you feel. You know, when Terry died, I, and then you're, you're the audience, you're remembering back, you're like, yeah, Jack did go through this, like literally the exact same thing. Yeah. And you think about, well, how did Jack respond to it? Um, Jack didn't <laughs> go after Nina. Technically, Tony did. So maybe it is in character for Tony. But that that scene for Kiefer's performance is fantastic. And Kiefer's going to have a bad moment coming up later on, too, that seems out of character. But uh, I'll, I'll kind of stop it here um, just with the, the, the Tony Henderson thing. Uh, because we do get that redemption for Carlos Bernard when Jack's pleading with him here, you know, just let us question him. And all he does is he just says, hurry up. Like, that's a great response. I love that moment. And his facial acting there, maybe the best acting of Carlos Bernard's career. It's a very good point you make about maybe the plan was to kill Henderson off and then, you know, have Tony sacrificing himself and much better. I'm just saying it right now because no disrespect to... Peter Weller and what we're going to get with Christopher Henderson. Mm -hmm. But I mean, on the grand scheme of things, what happens with him isn't really that memorable. So, you know, I would argue that they drag it out a little bit, but um, yeah, it's, it is a bit hit and miss here with Tony because, and this is again, no disrespect to Carlos Bernard, but we, he's a kind of a bit one note actor. So there is some of this stuff where it just does come across as a bit like, 
hammy and a bit off. And there's a, there's a line later on which I'll, <laughs> uh, he's mine now. Like, really? <laughs> like, it's kind of like, okay. But, um, yeah, the speech is awesome. I love it. And you're right. Like, because he, you, you you remember everything about Jack. And because he, he did pin uh, Nina up against the wall when he captured, captures her in that car park, of yeah. course. So, like, he's there and he's basically in this exact exact situation. So, yeah, 100%, I think it, it works that point. And, like, I, I think, like, what could have added even more to this is that I, I want Jack to say to Tony, like, like, Tony, you know what I went through. You were there. You also yeah. were fucking literally Nina. Her. <laughs> Like, you were watching me do it. You were there telling me not to kill her because you knew we needed her. Like, put the exact the same situation. And it is. So, um, although I do, I do kind of love the fact that for like the next 40 minutes of this episode, what is Tony just sitting around going, that's the man that killed my wife. I've got another 38 minutes till I can kill him. Like, I mean, he's very literal on the, on the time, which kind of counting say, it down on when, when you've got, you know, attention, everyone, you will be dying. If you aren't in the following of that guy, <laughs> does he actually mention that the medical facility is safe? Because I feel that like, did I miss that? Cause all of a sudden when you, you cut to here and it's like, Wait, I thought that wasn't one of the three rooms that was safe before. But um, yeah, maybe, I didn't catch I it. That. But then when Jack immediately was calling, okay, I need to see the medical facility. I assume that he did mention it. Maybe he did. But uh, uh, yeah, it's all great stuff. But uh, just on the on Jeff Baldwin or whatever his name is, like <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I, I see what you're saying about the delivery of the line, but I'm so on board with him. If I'm locked in a room. And I'm just like red shirt guard who no matter what, you know, is going to die. It's like, I'm wearing a red shirt. I am going to die. Although there's like one red shirt in the uh, the Jack room. So lucky him. But well, like, if you were in a room, you found out like I've probably got like 20 minutes to live. And it's because this guy was embarrassed. I'm like, you fucking dickhead. Like, yeah, you know, like I, I, I have more complaints about the way he reacts about the fact that he's got like five minutes to live in a moment. We'll get to that. But it's just I'm like, yeah, I'd be fucking mad, too. Um, but yeah, everything else here is good. Although I will question who are the other people in the room with Jack? Like we know Jack's there, Kim, Barry's there, Chloe, like the Jenny. gang. Like who are the other? There's like random red shirt. There's like, you know, <laughs> Brian. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I Natalie. It's the rest there. of the Baldwins. They're just they're chilling. Why do we never Baldwin know? family reunion? I guess Audrey's there, but like, I mean, it's kind of like who are these other people? I want to know who they are. Uh, and that poor corpse outside the door <laughs> didn't make it in. <laughs> yeah, but we keep staring at poor old Edgar. I'm dead. Whereas like all the other people, because even then later on when like Bill's on the phone to Karen, it's kind of like, hey, how many people are dead? Oh, like 40. I'll just, uh, you know, it was, didn't like 30 die the other year in the explosion? Yeah, it's CTU, lol. <laughs> but, they they but don't even ask go for by. names. Yeah, but day goes by without 30 people dying. It's a good day. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, speaking of Edgar's body, Chloe's still watching it. <laughs> the only one upset by this, uh, 10 minutes later. And, uh, she's basically shut down. Now, this is one of those things that I feel like, again, in the script, in the story, I like this, but there's some in the delivery. Like when you said that Marilyn Racecup didn't, um, or had to, was supposed to take acting classes. And I don't think that's any knock against her, like, but she's a comedian and her, there's certain things she hasn't had to do as an actress. And I think any actor would want to get some coaching as to, I've never had to do this before, but I feel like this episode, maybe they could have found time for it because there's moments where her response, where she's saying nothing is great. But then anytime she has to talk, I'm just like, uh, she's slipping back into old Chloe and just doesn't feel like I'm not getting this vibe that she needs, you know, uh, 10 minutes with Dr. Barry here. Um, 
But uh, I, I do like the reaction. Again, the way that the script is written, where Jack's saying, Chloe, Chloe, we need you to do this. And she's like, I'm not feeling up to it. Maybe somebody else can do it. Like, I, I just wanted Jack to be like, who do you recommend? Kim or Dr. Barry? <laughs> Which one's it going to be? Is it going to be? Natalie? What is it? Uh, Natalie, Jenny, Brian. Uh, Edgar's corpse. Why don't we get, why don't we get Edgar's corpse over here? You can tell him what to do. Uh, but uh, the, the Kim and Barry stuff where Barry basically started, leave it to me. I'm a trained professional. Uh, like I, I so want to hate Barry in this episode, but like, I can't completely hate him because to me, he's like a lesser version of Gardner. Like half of what he's saying makes total sense. And then there's other times where you're like, oh, this is the boyfriend. But even then, when it's like, oh, this is the controlling boyfriend, I'm like, yeah, but like if, let's say Jamie had her dad fake her fake his death and then he comes back and then 10 minutes after meeting him again, you're locked in a room surrounded by Centox nerve gas. Like I'd probably be a little bit testy too with Jamie's not so dead dad. Uh, so I don't I don't necessarily dislike Barry, but like I think they're doing a good job and see Thomas Howell here is doing a fantastic job of making the audience just want to slap him across the face. Uh, and Jack as well. <laughs> Jack's going to do some things to him here. Uh, but I do like his coaching of Chloe too. All I'm asking you right now is just to sit down in this chair. And I'm like, and what? That's, that's a pretty good shrink. <laughs> Next time I'm in, in a crisis situation, I want this guy there to coach me. Well, uh, so that's all you need to learn. I could be a shrink. Hey, you feeling upset? Sit in a chair. Right, that'll be $1,000. <laughs> Feel better. They're Mission Impossible. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I'm quoting all this Mission Impossible stuff Ben hasn't heard the best of yet. <laughs> I, I wonder why you're doing that at the time of recording this, Colin. <laughs> uh, but uh, the way that they they kind of, I guess, we're not going to get much further than this, but uh, the way that they sort of Jack questioning Barry, like, you know, I don't like what you're doing with my daughter and stuff like that. Like, this is where Jack feels out of character because he is all about what he's literally just told Tony, switch off your feelings. The mission is important. The next thing you know, he's choking Dr. Barry against the wall. And that to me is like worse than Tony going Rambo. Like to me, that is the one moment of this episode. I'm like, man, just cut this. It doesn't work. Uh, and it doesn't even feel like he has his heart in it. Like I feel like Kiefer doesn't even, he's like, oh, this is C. Thomas Howell of the Outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. You're an 18. Oh, I grew up watching you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just, I, I hate that him choking him <laughs> for no reason. Is Jack Bauer right going to have to choke a bitch? Well, but it's like, it's not, if, if he was just telling Tony in the preceding scene, Tony, it will be okay, I've been there. That'd be one thing. But prior to the Tony scene, he was just telling Chloe, Chloe, it'll be okay. So he's telling everybody in this episode, keep it together, K-I-T, keep it together, keep, keep it, it together. together. Keep it together, keep it together. <laughs> And then he loses his cool for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. And I get that Barry's a bit of a douche, but like, seriously, it just comes out of nowhere and it doesn't feel like it leads anywhere because literally it doesn't lead anywhere. Um, I, I do like though, when he's basically saying, we need her to do the job, you know, in this work, you can't always, you know, just take a breath and you know, uh, talk about your feelings. And I love Chloe just all of a sudden, she says something like, okay, I'll do it. And then he continues to choke Barry. And the next thing you know, Chloe's already in the computer. All right, I'm done. <laughs> it's just over like that. Like, that's it. That's as far as we're going to go with Chloe's breakdown here over Edgar's death. Uh, and I, I love the, her line, though, to Dr. Barry. Where's, what is it with you and breathing? Is that your solution to everything? <laughs> uh, another scene that just doesn't work in this episode is the Chloe and Kim scene. Like, it's the same thing last week. Like, I don't know. It's the writing or it's something. It's just, it, I think it's to me, it just doesn't feel like it belongs here. Like, you should be spending all of your time on jack and kim and if you want to have one scene like you had last week where chloe just sort of 
gives her point of view, do it last week. But to literally bring it up again after everything that's going on, it's like, so how often do you talk to my dad? Uh, about once a month. And then the, the way this line is delivered to or even written, where it's like, oh, oh, so what type of stuff do you tell him about? Um, You. And it's like, well, basically just you. <laughs> oh, it was all you, girl. Uh, I just maybe include this last week and I wouldn't uh, be so down on it. Um, Jack is basically going to try to sneak through the air ducts here. He's going to pull a John McClane, go through the, the, and every time in movies, when you go through air ducts, they're the cleanest air ducts you've ever seen. Not real. Uh, but, uh, he's going to go through the air ducts and this is a very tense scene where he's just, the second I get in there, you close this right behind me and he's having to get out of this. Now we never actually see him go up. And I think that's one of the things I actually really like in this episode because the big heroic moment we're going to come up uh, later on with Lynn, I feel would be diminished if you saw Jack like getting to this roadblock where he's like, oh, it's not on the plans or anything in the clothes. Like, oh, they uh, they renoed two years ago and somebody didn't file the paperwork. <laughs> uh, but the fact that we don't see Jack do this, it actually, I think, makes Lynn's sacrifice later on more heroic. But Jack basically comes back and says he can't get anywhere. So somebody's got to go and it's going to have to be Lynn. Uh, Lynn basically says, yes, I will do this. But um, stipulation is if you're opening that door, you're both exposed anyway. So Mr. Security Guard's going to die as well. Uh, Lynn does get his moment here where uh, he does the stroke thing. Although we do get that guy calling his, you know, uh, what is it? Wife and child. And that scene I really like with Peter Baldwin here. Uh, but then I wonder why isn't Lynn calling anybody? Like, this is a guy who has had a terrible day. We saw how much he broke down during people just questioning his judgment. And now he's found out his sister is dead and everything here is his fault. I think I just wanted one more moment with him. And this isn't taking anything away from Lynn's big action moment here, which to me is one of the, if, if I were to just pick before we started watching the season, what are my top five moments of the season? This would have been in there. I don't know if it's going to be as high now that I feel like maybe we needed some type of scene other than just saying, I'll do it. Now I'm very sorry that, you know, you have to go through this to the security guard, but him going out of the room, covering his mouth, holding his breath, going down there, turning on the air conditioning, whatever it is. And then coming back and the way that Sean Callery's music is like, if you want to talk about top five music cues in the history of the show, this is up there. This is incredible. Like I was just on the edge of my seat watching this and I've seen it before. And I, I have that ingrained in my brain, you know, every shot, every image and even the timing of this scene uh, to make this even better though, when he gets back in there and you see the security guard take the first breath and he's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. And then he slowly starts dying. That's when it just starts to sink in. And the fact that they do Lynn's death after this too is even more effective because if you just saw them both dying at the same time, I don't think it's nearly as dramatic. It's not nearly as, 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 as sad to watch, but there's something so much more devastating than to have this character that despite the fact that the show's tried really hard to make you hate him, the audience probably does like Lynn for most of the season. And especially now, and you watch the security guard and you're expecting him to die. And then you get this false hope. No, he's going to live. And then when he dies, it sinks in before you even see Lynn start to convulse. And to me, that's what works so well about this, this moment here with his death. Also add to that, that it's still two thirds of the way through the episode. We're not even done the episode yet. You're kind of breaking with 24 tradition here with a major character dying when you know they're going to die. You know, this, this is like Mason's death to the next level. It just doesn't have that great last moment for him as a character that I think Mason had. But I mean, I can't say enough good things about how this is shot, how it's, 
edited, how the, the music enhances this. It's just maybe that extra emotional moment from Lynn just calling somebody or even just giving a speech would have just put it over the top. Uh, just on the Sean Callery, it's an amazing episode for him for music. And my favorite piece of music hasn't even come yet in this episode. Um, but just a few things. There's a lot of plot holes here, which I want to cover. But um, the Barry <laughs> bit, like, I felt this was so obvious. As soon as we met him last week and you've got Jack staring him down, you knew there was going to be something like this happen. There had to be. The funniest thing to me about this whole situation when he's choking him is that nobody else in that room reacts. They're just like, oh, there's yeah. Jack choking someone again. <laughs> like, it's just, it's like even Kim, like even Kim, who has not seen her dad for how many years and kind of is almost expecting him because there's, there's so many little tense moments. Like, even when, like, Jack is, like, trying to get Chloe to, like, talk and you see Barry, like, go, like, can I make a suggestion? And Jack sort of walks up to him like, what? Like, you just, you know he wants to just fucking punch him. But just literally, he's choking him against the wall and Kim's just like, oh, here goes dad choking another boyfriend. He's <laughs> um, so predictable, Dad. Um, but like, I one thing I'll say about Chloe, like, I I definitely agree with you for the most part. But I just want to applaud Mary Lynn Radzkin for somebody who's not really known as an actor. She's a comedian, and yeah, I've only ever seen her in other things where she's funny. You, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that the fact that she can deliver just that stare down and that quiet. Like, even the way she delivers a line sometimes a bit like crap, she does it in a way where it's believable. Like, it's believable that a person like this would act that way. We all know, well, I know one right now, I'm staring at him, emotionless people who kind of, you know, when they actually <laughs> react to certain things, they're going to act in a way that maybe you're not expecting them to. And I think that this just it works really well with her. Um, I mean, I do kind of like Jack being a bit of a dick. Like, come on, woman, get over it. Yeah. <laughs> like, we need you to work, damn it. Um, and then I love Barry just walks in. Da, 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 I'm Barry. Go sit in a chair and breathe. Okay, I'm better now. Um, that's 2006's portrayal of mental health. Uh, is he basically Neil from the Santa Claus movies yeah. in this episode? Sometimes it's a state of mind, not a person. Uh, nice sweater. Did we make these? Um, but yeah, and I, I do... Like how basically when Chloe gets on that computer, done. Uh, and then it's so like, oh no, what is it, Chloe? It seems there's like acid in the thing. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, it's like melting the the ceiling agents. Damn, that's not good. We've got 15 minutes to live. Oh, like again, I know like this is just for dr- dramatic purposes. But like right now, if I said to you, Colin, you've got 15 minutes to live. Oh, that's a shame. Well, I hope somebody fixes that. Like, have a bit more reaction. Like, these people are just chilling. Yeah, every person in the room should be like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? You want me to do something? Yeah, like, even Barry, like, is the one here, I guess, he's trying to make look like a bit of a dick, like, the way he's acting. Like, he's like, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm kind of with you. Barry's the only one reacting like any human (laughs) should right now. Like, Kim, like, she's like, she should be like, oh, God, not again. Like, I kind of like did roll my eyes at this episode when it first aired because I'm like, oh, of course, Kim shows up. She's got to be in danger. But like it's yeah. done in a way where you kind of don't see it that way. The Kim and Chloe scene, like what does she say? Don't talk down to me, Chloe. Like it's kind of like, do we need this? But um, I do like that line though. Like as we said, we didn't really use it when uh, like Kim's like, so how are you, Chloe? I'm sorry I talked to talk to that way. Well, I woke up this morning with a man who I probably will never see again. My best friend just died in front of me. But yeah, so not so good. Um, and I know you haven't touched on the, the Kim leave scene yet because there's a great line there from Jack, yeah. but so the plot holes. Okay. So 
Jack has to go down a vent to see them. You do see that scene, by the way. You do see Jack discovering that there's like a grate there. You see him going like, Uh. and then he kind of goes back. Now, if all it takes is a person to climb through a vent to hold their breath, right? Okay. So how close are they to a door? You can hold your breath for about three minutes. Takes you 90 seconds. Why can't you just run from that point to a door? And hold your breath and do well, it that way. I, I think it's for the same. Oh, like, I don't know if you're talking about Jack's through the air ducts or whatever, but it's the same reason why the security guard dies. Because the second you're opening that door, your air is now contaminated. Yeah, but you can still hold your so, breath. But my point is, you like, yeah, your air is contaminated. But like, if you open the door and it's say, I don't know, 10 meters from the nearest exit, why can't you just hold your breath? For 90 seconds and right like if that's oh, all it takes. You're talking about just to leave the building. Yeah, like like Jack can enter yeah. a room with Centox nerve gas and not get affected because he says, like, if I hold my breath, it won't be absorbed in my skin. So if that's all it takes, because Lynn and that can walk mm-hmm. out, come back, hold their breath, like that's a massive plot hole. I want them to yeah. say, like, when Jack says that, like, why can't somebody say, like, well, why can't we just do that? And they could say, like, Oh, because that's too far away from the nearest door or they're all sealed off so we won't be able to open them or, oh, we risk outside exposure to the world mm-hmm. because this would, like, you just need a line. Give an explanation, yeah. Because to me, that is the massive plot hole. If all it takes is holding your breath, then do it. But then even then, it's like, can't Jack, because, like, you see him leave and then he's got to come back into the thing. He taps his headset because then it takes him, like, 10 seconds to flush the air so that it's it's gone, so they're clear. Can't Jack just keep going in and out, in and out, different things? Or well, I can go to this computer. <sighs> okay, you know, I can go to this computer. Yeah. Like, there's, there's wait, like, plot hole. The other plot hole, although I do love Jack's reaction when he sees that somebody's installed this grill and he's all like, mm, you know, he wants to say, damn it. And I love it when they get back into the room and Chloe's like, oh, it's not there. You're lying. And Jack's like, trust me, it's there. And all of a sudden, oh, see, they didn't, somebody didn't file it correctly. I want Natalie in the background to go, sorry, that was me. Oh, that's on me, guys. Didn't get owlies that day. Awkward. I'll let myself out. Oopsie. My bad. (laughs) The other massive plot hole. So, like, I don't want to take away from the Lynn stuff because, like, again, I'll, I'll, I'll praise everything here. But when they basically say, like, Lynn, You've got to uh, you've got to go and do this computer, and Lynn's like, okay, for for country America. Notice how he opens the door to holding. It's just a normal door. There's no seal. There's a gap underneath it. That's just holding cell seven. Yeah. So how is that sealed? Like <laughs> that is not a sealed door. He just opens it like it's just your standard door. He needs to like go to another room and like go out another seal or something. I'm like. That, those guys are already dead. Um, yeah. I do like my thing around, like you were talking about the Baldwin guy about before how his reaction, I, I, I'm more on the, his reaction here about when he's kind of like, Oh, like, you know, I have to die too. Cause again, that's, it's the big point of this episode. It's a sacrifice. Like this poor innocent guy is going to die for no reason. Like he goes from like, I'm going to die to just being on the phone and be like, well, going to die. All right. Like again, like if I'm in a room with that person, I'm going to be like, fuck no. Like, but everyone else is going to die. I don't care. I'm talking about me. Everyone else deserves to die. But you say he like calls his wife and daughter. Is it just his daughter? Because he's literally just like, oh, little Jenny, I'm so sad. I'm not going to be there. Daddy, but I wanted you to come home and tuck me into bed. Well, I may be late tonight, sweetheart. Remember to always listen to your mother. When she says go to bed, you always go to bed. All right, got to go now. Love you. Bye. Like, where's the wife going? Like, no, Billy Baldwin, I want you to love. I love you. I love you. (laughs) Like, it's just, 
I think the Lynn one, though, is I'm okay with him not talking to anyone because it's kind of like Mason. He's a bit of a loner, you know, like it's, it makes it more tragic to me. Uh, or Chappelle, like anyone you want to call. No, I'm alone. Mm. I, I, I feel that, Colin. But I mean, Some but, people but are alone fact- in life, Colin. We don't have people to call. But I mean, with Mason and Chappelle, we at least got them acknowledging that. Whereas with Lynn, we've seen him go through a lot of stuff, be very emotional with everything. And then here he's like, all right, I want to die. You know, <laughs> it's like the the Simpsons are, I want to die too. The the asteroid episode or whatever. Yeah, it's a bit rushed, uh, like, I guess. But yeah, I, I, I just, I want something where he's like, you know, I really wish I hadn't lost that key card, but I'm glad that I could do this for America. Like <laughs> that would have been terrible dialogue, but like give us a moment with him, anything, you know? Everything else, I agree with you. It's such a powerful scene, and I've marked it down as a potential top five. But it's it's like just the way, yeah. That that death is more effective when you see Mr. Baldwin die. I'm okay. I'm all right. <laughs> and then you just see that that look that Sean Astin does. Like it's just that that oh fuck. Like and then you know even just the the nature which you see him like holding his breath until that last actual possible moment where he cannot hold his breath any longer. And then you just see sort of everybody seeing him die on the screen. So, um, yeah, very powerful. It's, it is one of those sort of rare occasions where you're right, like sort of a, a major character sort of dies in the middle of an episode. Um, but sometimes I'm okay with that because sometimes that adds it a bit yeah. more effective. It's like, you know, how convenient that every person who dies in the show just happens to die at the top of the hour. Like, <laughs> I just want Jack to be like, oh, no, I'm not going in that building. It's, it's <laughs> six seconds to three o'clock. I might die. Do, 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 do. Okay, cool. I'm good. I'm almost feeling like now, like trying to analyze this whole, when was Henderson actually supposed to die or was he, he wasn't supposed to be on the show? And then the um, uh, the Tony, when Tony woke up a couple weeks ago, we mentioned that uh, one of the trivia points was that that's, those scenes were filmed like three or four weeks earlier mm. and they just held over. I actually wonder whether they had a different way to write Tony out before the whole Centox thing hit CTU and then you would just had Edgar because... This is like three major deaths in two episodes. Yeah. Uh, and I know we got like two major deaths in episode one, but uh, it almost feels like we bit off more than we could chew and now we actually have to get this done this week. And this is where, when we get to the Tony scene, I'll complain. Because again, as we've constantly said with Tony at a certain point, they just don't know what to do with him. And this is mm-hmm. this is the frustration, at least with Michelle or Palmer or, you know, Edgar. Like they've, they've, they've had a firm end date. And this is yeah. where, again, there's there's somewhere that's gone wrong here with issues around writing this out because, again, even the writers don't know what the fuck they did with him. And this is where mm-hmm. it's frustrating. So we'll get to that, but yeah. Uh, so we get um, the, if we want to call it a goodbye scene between uh, Kim and Jack where she's basically saying, oh, okay, I'm not comfortable it is a, it is <laughs> having kind of anything a, to do with you. This is the last time we see these two together for like two and a half seasons. So I'd say it's yeah. a goodbye season. It's well, but, but technically, are they? They're not going anywhere yet. Is what I mean to no, say. They, it's not like, like, all right, I'm walking out the door. But see you, ya. But you never. But this is the last episode. You don't see them again after this episode. Yeah, exactly. In, in terms of what what happens on screen, this is the last time they're together. Uh, but uh, the scene's fantastic. I, I don't think it's quite as good as the one last week. But agree. To me, the best moment about this isn't even the scene between Alicia Cuthbert and um, and Kiefer Sutherland. It's when it's all over, and yeah. I, I think it's, it's yep. Chloe who asks Jack, "Are you?" Okay? Audrey, it's like, are you all right? And he just says, no. And then yeah. just leaves it at that. Like That's the simplest epic. line is just like, like last week with Edgar and his just cl- one line, Chloe and Tony with his hurry up this week. Like this is where the writers are just like, we don't need big speech. I know I just asked for any type of speech. For, maybe, maybe I would have been okay with just one line, a single line. Like, are you, are you okay, Lynn? No. 
And then he goes and does the thing. Like, give that line to Lynn, that would be great. But wow, that's just like one of the best moments. Because again, you never really see Jack vulnerable. And here, you're seeing him vulnerable in a way where he's like, this is as bad as it gets for me. No, I'm not doing and it right. it's how he delivers it. It's how Keeper delivers it. Because it's not just a no. He kind of just, it's a silence. And then he's looking into like, out this window. And he just goes, no. Like the way he delivers yeah. it. I can't even do it justice. But it's, and it's because it, legitimately, when you ask somebody how you are, 98% of the time, you are going to assume, uh, I'm good. Like, I'm fine. Even if you're not fine, generally people just say, I'm fine. I'm good. To hear somebody yeah. actually say no and to hear Jack Bauer say no, like, yeah. it's like fuck, okay. Uh, and we also get, like, Audrey kind of, like, touching his hand here, caressing his hand a little bit. So it's Without the first consent, physical sexual assault in the office? No consent. <laughs> yeah, and this is a co-worker. Come on, I mean, Audrey. is Jack a co-worker anymore, though? How many times has he been fired this season alone? Yeah. Uh, a couple of side things get introduced here after Lynn's death. Uh, first, we get introduced to um, the only Bond girl to ever be in 24, I think. Uh, uh, there's a Canada's lot of, only oh, Bond girl. There's a lot of, like, Bond connections we have. Not time. I mean, aren't there three different Bond villains in this show at one point? Yeah, just no Bond girls. Two though, and a I half. Think. True. Yeah, and also, who else do we get to meet here? Not only do we get to meet a Bond girl on Castle's own freaking what's her name, Stana Stana Caddick. Who else is who's in bed here? Who is in bed with her? I didn't know. You don't know? You don't, I've been no. building up to this moment forever. No. It's Henry Cusick. It's it's Desmond. Oh, is this his role? This is Desmond. You didn't notice that was Desmond? It's Henry no. Kusick. Yeah, there he I is. I was watching it on my phone. I need to go back Not now. Not Penny, but uh, no, I, I thought <laughs> I was I was excited for this. I could, I forgot. I thought he came in next week, but um, because yeah, like this, I just add this now. Like one of my most frustrating things about this season is this goes nowhere in terms of the Henry Ian Cusick because the way he ends to me was such an open door where I'm like, oh, he's coming back. And you never saw him again. And I'm assuming Henry and Cusick got lost after this or, you know, was just about to go on there. But it just, to me, this is one of those ones that 24 just will fail in a few weeks of that. But I love, like, this character. And not just because it's Henry, it's not just because it's fucking Desmond. But there he is. There's in bed. He's shirtless with castles and quantum of solaces. Uh, Stana Kadich. Kadich. She, she's yeah, doing now, Nathan now, Fillion. Come on. Not just the only Canadian actress to ever play a bond girl unless you count lois maxwell she was money pennies a bond girl but the only canadian bond girl character was canadian uh and this to me like her character colette is i, I would say for the amount of episodes she's in she's a pretty major character yeah oh, she but is. uh is it not fun to kind of imagine that this is the her quantum of solace character and Oh, sorry. In the end, it wasn't the boyfriend. It was actually her all along. No, I like that interconnected words. But no, I like this kind of pairing. That's kind of where I think like it's one of these side little ones that you will forget about in three seasons. And you always forget that Henry yeah. and Cusick's in this show. But no, I, I think it's... And maybe it is more memorable because these are two actors who went on to bigger and better things. Yeah. But I mean, even like... I mean, we talk about um, what's-her-face old uh, Wendy Crewson getting to do all the leading men in Hollywood. It's static. And again... Santa Cadich here. She's got freaking Henry and Cusack in 24, Nathan Fillion. Uh, yeah. Daniel Craig was in a room with her. I mean, like, <laughs> she, she, she's, she's, got all, she's got a good life. I'm on board with her. <laughs> that, was, that was the first thing when we were watching Air Force One last night. It was Wendy Cruz. And it's like, you know, this is the luckiest woman in Hollywood. And Jamie was like, why? It's like, she's been married to Harrison Ford, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Judge Reinhold, Tim Allen. <laughs> do, you, do you not think Stana Cadich kind of looks like a older Misha Barton who probably has a more successful career that she not, had to go to do Neighbours? Yeah, gonna... although what I was wondering, when you look at her, not the Colette Stanger page on um, uh, 24 Wiki, but the Stana Cadich page, she looks so miserable in yeah. the picture there. But that picture 
is where I see the Misha Barton you're talking about. That's what, that's what I'm looking at. I, I always thought, and I think we did this back when we did our Corner of the Souls recap, but for whatever reason, I always thought she was a, a like a Deshaniel or Zoe did like one related because I think she looks, I always <laughs> the thought. The third sister. Yeah, isn't there like two Deshaniels or whatever they are, however yeah. you say their names? There's I, the Bones. Well, because probably because the one is on Bones, yeah. which is just the same well, show as Castle, right? And I think right? that's where I got confused. And I think we, I think I brought that up on our Corner of the Souls recap on 007. I'm like, oh, it's a chick from whatever. And you're like, no, it's the other one. So, yeah, because mm-hmm. that's right. She was on Bones. They're all the fucking same. Bones and <laughs> Castle and Monk and Numbers and <laughs> Cold Case. Cold Case was different. But what was the difference between Bones and freaking Castle? I still, I think on Castle, I mean, I don't know what the main character on Bones was. I don't know on Castle, he was like either an author, like a comic book writer or something like that. Like he wrote detective novels or something. And they're like, oh, this is a good guy to consult on detective. So you had, you had I Nathan... watched like a handful of episodes and it oh, was okay. I, I think I saw a bit of numbers because I think Mallory and her dad oh, watched numbers, it. Oh, numbers, I love that one. I was like, oh, this show is so like whatever. Um, but because I, I, what's his face? Um, Boreanaz from Angel was in Bones, right? She, and, mm. and he was with yeah. the Deshaniel and then you had Nathan Fillion with this woman and then... Monk was different, but um, I like I only watched I watched CSI for like a season or two, but then I got sick of William Peterson. He annoyed the shit out of me. I'd watch CSI Miami for like five minutes. I'm like, okay, this is whatever. CSI New York, I think I watched the most because it had Gary Sinise and Providence Woman in it. Um, old <laughs> Maria, Marissa, Melissa. Whatever. We talked about her the other year, didn't we? Ben's Ben's nineties middle aged woman thing. <laughs> uh, you don't get me started. On Amy Brenneman. Whenever she's in something, bring her, bring me, bring me my Brenneman back. Um, but all of those cop shows, I never really was like, I watched Blue Bloods, but that's not really a crime show. That's more of a cop show. We, we talked about this in season, uh, season two, which one was Melanie? That was season one. Yeah. Season one. Yeah. We talked about, well, like, cause she was on, uh, numbers and numbers was like the one of those shows where I, I kept watching it and I'm going to be so excited next season when we get one of the main stars in numbers, Peter McNichol, oh. uh, coming in. So you got judge her, P- Peter McNichol, David Crumholtz. Uh, great, we murdered great Lucy when we were talking about that last <laughs> week. About he was the one he played the murderer who stabbed um, Lucy and Carter in ER. So that was him. So. Oh, I thought. Oh, oh, David Crumble. I thought you were yeah. Lucy from the Santa Claus. No. <laughs> Bernard killed Lucy. <laughs> he just hates everyone called Lucy. Ah, I'm gonna stab I mean, everyone. Then we're his number one fan. <laughs> he yeah. killed Lucy. I love uh, Lucy. Anyway, no, I don't. Ah! We get introduced to Colette and uh, Desmond here in bed uh, very briefly. Uh, basically, just taking a phone call. They'll play into the next couple episodes more. Uh, we we also get introduced to Karen Hayes for Yay. the first time. Now, trivia bit here. I don't know if you read the same thing. Lori Metcalf was originally cast. I was going to mention that. Yeah, yeah, but and it, it was. I don't know whether it was her side. It, the way they kind of phrase it here is that it was like a mutual agreement. Oh, let's get somebody else to do this. And I she's think, like, yeah, I think somebody else. Would be wasn't she cast on Desperate Housewives? Did I not read that somewhere else? That I think she actually oh, had to she? leave because she had a contract. I think it was Desperate Housewives. Um, but that was the reason why she couldn't appear because I think it was a conflict mm. of interest with Desperate Housewives. Um, and I like I know she's a big deal with her. like Roseanne was her main thing, but like for me, what I knew her from was Big Bang Theory. And I love the fact that I don't know if you knew this. Fact. Sheldon's mom, right? Yeah, but the, did you know that like on Young Sheldon, the woman who plays the younger version of her character is Laurie Metcalf's daughter. So like they actually I read that recently. Like I yeah. thought that was I've really never seen really cool. Young Sheldon. And well, Young the mom like no disrespect to Lauren Metcalf, she's fantastic, but I actually think the younger mother because she's got a lot more to do because she's a main character and she's actually really good. So uh, great piece of casting. Uh so yeah, recast Karen, with Jane Atkinson. 
Yeah, I mean, this is her first introduction. And just like every other big, I mean, she's not division. I do wonder why a lot of this conversation, Homeland Security. So a lot of this conversation is like, okay, so we're going to go in, assume control. Like, isn't this what division does? Like division's got people who are not in this building that they should be sending in now. Why does Homeland Security take over and over? And what is the hierarchy? Because last season and even half of this season, it was the Department of Defense who kind of was overseeing. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's Homeland Security. Like, I don't quite understand where they get the jurisdiction here. I I mean, we talked about this the other week about why is it only CTU that is the only one doing this when you've got other organizations? I don't know. I think they just want to kind of use an excuse of like, let's have this person, let's have that person, let's have this agency, let's have that agency in there. Um, But uh, two things just quickly to add on this is that uh, the Homeland Security logo is not the real Homeland Security logo when you see it on the wall. It's very close. But this is one thing that when we get to season eight, this is the, the most stupidest thing that I get angry about that takes me away from season eight. But when it gets to season eight, they obviously never got the rights to use the proper NYPD branding and logos. So they use a fake looking NYPD logo in that entire season. It annoys the shit out of me. And if there's one unanswered question from 24 that I cannot find, and if we get John Kazar or Howard Gordon, I'm going to be like, did you just run out of money filming in New York that you couldn't afford to pay the rights for the NYPD, the proper branding? Because mm-hmm. like, it's so jarringly bad. And so this one here with Homeland Security annoys me a little bit. But then we also meet here uh, for the first time as well, who's going to become a bit of a, a major guy in this season, uh, Miles, uh, played mm-hmm. by Steven Spinella. And I don't know if you know much about him. He was in a very memorable episode of Nip Tuck, but uh, he's been in a lot of things as well. And I kind of like the Miles character, although it's we do have these very weird... When we get Kate Mara in a few weeks, oh, I keep getting Kate Mara's in this season. Oh, hello. Um, but like, I just, it's a weird thing between him and Kate Mara, but we'll get to that. But I like Steven Spinella. Yeah. I mean, they're basically coming in the same way that Bill came in. Yeah. And you could even say they're the new Bill and Michelle, like what they Bill are. and Michelle were last season. Uh, they're coming into assumed control. But I do love the way they write this because I think everybody is preconditioned watching the show to feel like whether you are Alberta Green or. Uh, George Mason or, well, George Mason technically was there from the beginning or Ryan Chappelle, Bill Buchanan. If you're coming in, you're supposed to be skeptical right away. The way that they write this scene, they basically have made it where the audience is going to be rubbed the wrong way because they're basically saying exactly what Sean Astin, everyone was afraid of. Well, I guess we could just send a lot of those people home. But then the argument she makes, again, kind of like Gardner, makes a lot of sense. It's like, yeah, we're going to have to identify the people who aren't up to capacity, you know? Because, yeah. like, these people are even working for 13, well, minimum 13 hours straight. Some of them even longer than that. It's like some of these people, and in reality, yes, this would happen. And these people would gladly go home. They're like, you know what? I need a break. Yeah. Get some, get some relief in here. Uh, but, of course, the way it's done, it, it it's not quite like, ha, 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 you know, a twir- mustache twirling. French. But it's, uh-huh. it's just, oh, <laughs> <laughs> The way that the Jane Atkinson uh, and uh, Steven Spinella here, the, the way they're kind of delivering this, it, it's almost a little bit like we want to ride halfway in between, hey, we're coming in to clean house and be the new bad guys, and also halfway between that and, hey, we're going to be pretty rational here and actually fair, but you know we're going to get some resistance. They're basically re- almost reserving the right to either have these characters be complete Chappelle's <laughs> or be next the next Bill Buchanan. It's it's yeah, and a lot of this will go the route of um the frustration level of what we had around Lynn and CTU, where you know CTU are going to work against them because screw these guys. And when at the end of the day, Homeland Security are doing the right thing. They're, like like literally, yeah. if a government agency gets taken out by terrorists, 
you do need assistance. But they're all like, no, fuck you, SCTU, and we've got Jack Bauer, we're going to do it. And like, that's where it gets frustrating, this constant, like, infighting between, like, you don't need it. It's just adding drama to it. Um, so, yeah, that to me is where there's a few issues around that. But should also mention, I think, with, like, the the Colette and the Henry and Cusack, that, like, that's obviously what, like, Bjorko's got them to get a... It's just that standard yeah. little plot thread of, oh, you think the worst part's over, but no. And there's that line from freaking... Um, um, Bierko when like again it's a very much a trailer line or whatever and it's like we've got the facility and it's like how much gas are we going to be using it's all of it and yeah it's all, con- the, all of it line I was like what and again it's just <laughs> contradictory of this Bierko character with two weeks ago like we only want to use this in Russia but now fuck it America like it's just what mm. are you doing mate Um, yeah I guess we probably should mention he's going to waste all of it which does that really defeat the purpose of what he's trying to do it's, as this, well like the, the there is an issue with this season that nobody ever talks about because everything else is so good i think the the main terrorist plot line about what these terrorists are trying to achieve gets convoluted and this is where yeah where you will have issues later on when there's another binnable episode it's it's just they switch focus to kind of this government conspiracy and everything around that, that all of a sudden you forget this was a thing. And then all of a sudden, Hey, look who's back and who kept a canister. Oh, danger. And you're like, Oh, for fuck's sake. I thought this was dead. Yeah. Like you can even just have them say, okay, let's use half of it or something. Cause I don't understand the purpose of them saying all of it because you don't need to release all of it for this to be a threat. That would be like, if you were talking nuclear assault and you had control of all of Russia's warheads, how many of the warheads do you want to fire? All of them. It's like, you only need to fire one. Like, yeah. <laughs> how many times over can you destroy the world? The world? Like, I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, releasing all of the nerve gas. Like, you, then you got nothing to bargain with. Like, it doesn't really make sense for the characters. It doesn't make sense even just for building uh, tension for the show either. Um, uh, yeah, so the rest of this is just Tony and Henderson and everything. And uh, again, I have mixed feelings on this. I do remember watching this the first time and thinking, wow, like that was fantastic. Being sad, but you know, oh, that was incredible. But uh, then you start to question certain things and then you start to analyze what everybody says on the internet. But going through just the scene itself, I feel the scene itself is really solid. Uh, you've been waiting for this whole episode. Like you said, Tony, we haven't checked in on him a while. He's just standing there just waiting, counting down. Uh, and then he's been like, all right, we've had enough time. He's not coming out of it. Uh, he's not responding. I'm killing him. And it's like, no, 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 Tony. I love, I think Jack rationalization here. Killing him won't bring Michelle back. He goes, no but I'll feel better. Like that line, I'm just like, oh. But it's even <laughs> be- what, what makes it even better is when Jack goes, no, you won't. And then he goes, you're probably right. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that line. <laughs> and, and, and that's something that I think we just needed earlier on when he started going into Rambo mode is that he knows he's not being rational. Like this is where you start started to recover with this whole Tony thing because everything he said, like he's saying, this doesn't make any sense, but I need to do this. I feel like I need to do it, and I'm going to do it. Um, but uh, it's the motivation of why this is the one thing that will drive him to end the United States. For all for all that Tony knows, this will be the end of the United States as we know it because they're not going to get the, their, their only lead. It's their only lead. Now, if Henderson were the guy who had his detonator there, the blinking detonator, boom, and that's how Michelle died, I get it. But like, Henderson's just a guy involved in this. He's not a trigger man. I feel like this would be the scene. If, if you just write something in there where Henderson is like, yes, I was in the bushes with my trusty detonator and he pulls out of his pocket. Then Tony has this much motivation. 
it's something where it's like you 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 had the right idea, but it needed something more for it to be really believable and really mean something. When you're ha- dealing with a character as important as Tony, at this point, outside of Jack, the longest running regular character on the show, I know he's been guest star last season, but he was basically a regular cast member in season four, guest star this season, but his presence has been there for 13 episodes, whether he was in it or not. You need more than just, he's one of the guys involved, so I'm going to go crazy here. Uh, but then the moment where he's hesitating, where he's going to stab the thing into Henderson to kill him, and he's hesitating again. I'm like, I I, I like 90% of this, but the way that he pulls back, where he starts like great, again, facial acting, Carlos Bernard's best acting is his facial acting. Uh, when he's hesitating, and then he's like, ah, maybe I can't do this. He never actually says, I can't do this, it, until uh, right at the end where he's dying. He said, I couldn't do it. But then you get Henderson grabbing the thing and stabbing Tony with it. And injecting him, the and then Tony's collapsing on the floor. Not in the neck, <laughs> his vulnerable spot. Um, no, he would have healed. <laughs> he can't even yeah, exactly. My neck's strong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but like what, what we're comparing, because you compared early in this episode the whole Jack and Nina thing with Terry's death and this, we know that Nina is the trigger man on Terry, not literal trigger man, but she was the one responsible. And I think that would have made this go over the top, over the top in a good way if Henderson was the single guy responsible. Uh, but then the actual death scene again, it's like you've sort of won me back uh, where he's just like, oh, I-, I couldn't bring myself to do it as he's dying there. Uh, we'll get to the counterclock in a second, uh, but I'll, I'll just give my minor complaint. Or I guess my suggestion on how this could have been better. I don't think they really sold Tony wasn't going to do this. There's a moment of hesitation but if you had a moment where he's like, oh, and even says, oh, I can't do it. And he puts down the syringe. And as he puts down the syringe, Henderson picks it up. But it's like, it's still in his hand. So in my mind, it's like, Tony's just still thinking about it. You know, this scene works the best if you know for a fact Tony wasn't going to do it. So it's a minor complaint in what otherwise is a fantastic scene. Um, now that then we get to the controversy. So episode ends, we don't get a silent clock. Uh, now this was like you said, very controversial. Oh, I remember even the time being, usually. and it's because it's coming off of the Edgar episode. If you weren't coming off the Edgar episode, I don't think people would have thought about it. The silent clock, people kind of knew at the end of the season, like season one and season two. Oh, okay. Well, you could just you know chalk that up to, this is just the way they're going to end the seasons on cliffhangers. But when you've had Chappelle have the silent clock, like you're now assuming the silent clock means something. And Edgar got one. You assume Tony's going to get one more. Having said that, some of the reactions from people were like, what a stupid mistake for them to make. They didn't give them the silent clock as if they did. They knew what they were doing. They, they were, they didn't have a firm plan, but they're like, we want to make sure we at least have a backup in case we want to bring Tony back. It's like, it's like when everybody got all up in arms in the Phantom Menace because Qui-Gon's body didn't disappear. And it's like, okay, but like, you don't understand that maybe there's a reason why his body did disappear. You get a couple movies later and you're like, oh, that's something you have to learn. He doesn't know how to do that. That's kind of the way that I eventually viewed the silent clock, especially when uh, when we eventually get to Tony coming back. One of the first things people were talking about is like, hey, remember when everybody got upset because there was no silent clock? Maybe this is the reason why. I don't believe that they knew where they were going to go with it, but I believe that they at least were keeping an option open by not having it. But like, like we said, this was like, everybody was just furious about that. And I think I kind of was even like, how did he not get a silent clock? Um, I'll talk on that in a moment. Just the other stuff with it. I think that, yeah, it's a great point about him being so, I'm going to kill you because you killed my wife. Because again, you're right. Like we don't know that this, 
he wasn't the guy who pressed the trigger and blew the car up. And this is an issue with Tony moving forward because what's going to be his recycled plot line moving forward to why he does what he does in the future? I'm getting to the bottom of who killed my wife. Like, we get it, Tony. Yeah. Your <laughs> wife got killed. And how many people do you need to kill? You just become a serial killer at that point. Like, it's sort of... We, we need that ultimate person because that's a great point you make. Like, Nina, we know Nina shot Terry. We know Nina killed Terry. So we know that that's where it ends. Like, yeah, you could thread the needle more and Nina worked for other people because as she's dying, you know, you think I work for Drazen? You know, I don't. And then even when she's getting, like, Jack's standing over, you don't have any more information for me, do you? Yes, I do. And, like, she would have. But, like, mm-hmm. where, do, where does it end? So there's an issue with that. I mean, I think the build-up to this, it almost feels... The one complaint, one of the complaints I'll have about this, because I'm very bipolar on all of this, it almost feels like this needs to be in another episode. Like, it just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, because this is a problem I have around where you're trying to kill Tony off. He's almost an afterthought. You have him a bit at the the beginning, and then you kind of have this, like, level of, like, nothingness, and all of a sudden he's back, like, yeah, I'll let you know how I feel. Gruff, 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 I'm Carlos Bernard. Like, it's just kind of, okay, and then he takes out Paul Burke here, um, and then, but even before that, the issue around this is like, basically Burke's like, yeah, he's in a coma. I can't do anything. Basically I fucked up. Like, oh, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> like, so why is Tony then kind of like, well, I'm going to take you out and kill him anyway. Like he's basically a vegetable. He all but says that. So, you mm. know, like all I want Tony is to go turn the machine off. Well, you said he was a vegetable. What are you doing, Tony? He's going to die. <laughs> like it's kind of. Yeah, but then at this point, maybe maybe this is the retconning what I was saying before about why you couldn't just hold your breath and run out of CTU because it takes Jack about 20 minutes to get to the fucking uh, medical room here. Yeah. Again, it's it's uh, um, two feelings on this, him like hovering over with the, the needle. Like he's been so blase about, yeah, fuck you, Henderson, I'm going to kill you. So then it's kind of like, like he hesitates and I'm kind of like, well, why? Like you've just made such a big deal about this. You want to kill him. And he does maybe need to say something like, oh, America is more important than Michelle. Michelle wouldn't want this. Like, you know, like have Mm -hmm. some sort of realization. But having said that, I remember watching this live. And this was one of those scenes that I rewound about five times because I was not expecting Henderson to wake up. Like watching it now in hindsight, it's very cheesy. It's very Mm -hmm. 2000s network TV. But at the time when you're watching this live, like, oh, fuck. And then everything from that point is just absolutely amazing. Like, just having Tony there, Jack run in, the music. Oh, my God. I love this, like, real emotional cue of music. And then, like, she's like, what did Tony say? Like, oh, I loved her. Like, you know, like, you know, all I did was love. And then he, like, dies. And then Jack's reaction. Like, we, like, we didn't even see a reaction like this from Jack with Terry because of the way they filmed it and kind of the way they zoomed out. You know, he just kind of had the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is really the first time outside of the end of season three where Jack has just like broken down, like absolutely lost it. And like, this is where the point comes in where the fans get angry. Because if you just did this as a scene of like normal 24Q, like, and he's kind of just holding him and Jack's like, I will avenge you. And then you go, dit, 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 dit. Like, I don't think we would be as annoyed. The thing that gets you is that they build this up. You are feeling this. You're like, oh, my God, they just killed Tony. What the fuck? Mm. Like, holy crap. As you said, the second most prominent person at the show to this point. And then all of a sudden you hear, did, 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 did. Yeah. Did. I was like, what the fuck? 
Um, and this is where, like, I'm going to com- adamantly disagree with you that this was their plan because I'm going to read you this quote here that Howard Gordon says in the book about that. So it says, Many fans are upset that Tony did not get a silent clock, which often honours a major character's departure from the show. Howard Gordon said, I don't know why we didn't give him the clock, but there was no conscious reason. So, like, to me, this is where it all filters in to they didn't yeah. know what the fuck they were doing. And but, then in the subsequent 24 hours that followed, once this episode aired, you had Howard Gordon, you had John Kazar being interviewed, being very, like, dismissive, like, oh, well, maybe we might bring him back. I think then they've gone, we're fucked up. We haven't done this. So, therefore, we're going to have to do something about this. I, for absolutely no reason, believe that this was a plan. I think the plan was to kill him off. They realized they fucked up and then they decided to bring him back. Yeah, no, I, well, I would, I'd be curious to know when that quote was given though. Is that before season seven was revealed? I, this is all... Because if it is, they're they're not going to be wanting I to would spoil assume it. Like it that this, uh, this was released in 2007. So that would have been, what, eight months after I season five? I think so... he's trying not to spoil that he's coming back. Nah, That's my guess. I mean, again, I don't know if that quote was like they rang, like, you know, what's her face? Tara rang him up. Hey, how can I have a quote? I, I just, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I think that they I, just, I don't think that you could have a silent clock one week and then just forget the but, next but, one, but you know? My, but my issue around this, if you were going to kill someone and with a plan to bring them back, the first five minutes of next week are done in a way where, like, it's just, it's lazy. Have him go into a building and explode and never see a body. Do something obvious. The fact that we literally see a body, they are there being interviewed after this going like, oh, is he dead? You might have to watch next week. Within two minutes, we see a sheet, a body, bye, see ya. That's it. And then yeah. the way well, they explain this about how he survives in season seven, don't get me started. It's all bullshit. I just, yeah. it, it makes me mad. And like, I just, I love this scene. I really do. Of course, I've marked it as a potential top five because it is emotional, but I'm one of those fans and I think they fucked up. And this is where I think it's a detriment to the Tony character. And to me, is Casper coming in to agree? Um, he's losing a tooth and he's very sad about it. He Aww. said he needed to call daddy, but Jamie said, wait until daddy's done recording. When it, uh, Uncle Ben's really done in his rant, Casper. Um, <laughs> I just think, like, kill him off. Like, we get nothing from this character later on. He, his character just gets, like, I, I honestly, it's like the Star Wars sequels. From this point on with Tony, I know they exist. I know it's canon. But to me, Tony dies right here. And this is the end of Tony which I wish it was because it would have made it for such a better arc for Tony. Yeah, I definitely agree that this would have been the best way to end Tony's character. But having said that, I've never been like that upset. I think by the time you get past season six, you're basically looking at everything they're doing almost like the Star Wars sequels anyways, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to look for the goodness. You're not expected to be like the show in its prime. Uh, I wasn't like that. In fact, I re- I remember this will be more talking point for season seven when we get there, being really excited that Tony's coming back and not even minding when I was watching it. But it is one of these things that, in retrospect, once you pass it, you're like, well, is that the best thing you did for the show? You know, or was it a little bit of a promotional event? Because one important thing that we'll talk more about when we get to season seven is they they did not hide what Tony's role was no. when he came back. In fact, it was released in a trailer a year before the show even aired because of the whole writer strike thing. And and there's a reason behind that, Colin, because A, writer strike, B, season six was so poorly received that essentially mm-hmm. Redemption and Seven were almost seen as a reboot. 
and that's yeah. they, they they had to do it. It's no different to why that why did they tease Palpatine was coming back for mm-hmm. Rise of Skywalker, and season seven to me is very much Somehow. the Rise of Skywalker. Of actually, it's a it's a great thing to compare. Season six and season seven of twenty four is very much the Last Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker. Hundred <laughs> percent, they are. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. Like they they don't. And that, that was such a thing that in the lead up to season seven, again, we're way ahead of ourselves here, but it was sort of like, oh, how is he going to be brought back? What's happened? How's this? How's that? And But even then they fluff him in season seven because it's similar to like, oh, he's the villain. Oh, actually, no, he's good. Oh, but he's actually a villain. No, he's not. He's good. Oh, but he's actually a villain. Like it's for fuck's sake. Just what are you doing with this guy? Kill him off. Let him, for God's <laughs> sake, just let him die. He's already dead. <laughs> Uh, any other trivia outside of Tony's death? No, I mean, it It really was, I would, yeah, definitely the most controversial episode of 24. Um, you know, any non-super fan would probably look at this and go, well, why? But, uh, I mean, it just, it, it still leaves a sour taste in my mouth the way they did this. And it's, again, it's, I, I almost wish it was done in such a shit scene. I wish that last scene was so bad and that you could be angry at it. I just, it's just that scene is so well acted and so well done and just like, everything around that but it's just whatever happens around that outside of it it was just like like just to, to kind of tease what we're going to believe that happens after tony dies him more for, for next week 10 minutes later he was revived apparently by evil people who then wanted to recruit him to become evil all right yeah so, so like uh, tony ten, turned ten evil within later, 10 they- minutes 10 minutes later, they still haven't even cleared the building for anybody to come in and put a sheet on him. You know, like in reality, <laughs> this building's locked down for about 10 hours afterwards. Which again, we've got to believe that Henderson here has escaped and rang up this character called David Emerson. Go, hey, David. So I just kind of uh, killed a guy, but he'll be good to be a terrorist. So recruit him. Come to see you <laughs> right now. Again, the plot hole, it makes no sense. But overall, uh, yeah, great. I, no other um, uh, trivia. There was no split screen at the end of the episode. Cool. Oh, this yes. won two Emmys. This episode won two Emmys. I should say that. Uh, single camera picture editing and outstanding directing. So uh, this was a double Emmy winning episode of 24. Who did you say directed this? Was this John? No, it was Brad. Brad Turner won an Brad Emmy Turner, for yeah. this episode. Congratulations, Brad. Well done. Um, I, I feel like I've talked down this episode uh, more than uh, I intended to. To me, it's just more an issue of this episode's fantastic, but a few little things hold it back from being even more fantastic. Like coming into this, I I knew I was going to buy this episode and I am buying it. But my thought was it'll be a battle between episode 12 and episode 13 for like maybe my top spot of the season. Uh, And having seen this one now, I'm like, "Uh, it's not nearly as close as I thought it was going to be, but it's still going to be pretty close. But I'm buying this and uh, I'll, I'll just get my ranking out of the way here. This was one of the other episodes I thought would definitely be a top 10, maybe even a top fiver. Uh, it's going to be a little bit lower than that. Um, I have this at number 13 overall, so still really high. Like That's why I feel bad that I've talked down this so much. But I've got this at 13 overall, so uh, it is, looking at this though, it is my fourth highest episode of the season at number 13. So that just shows how strong season five is. Oh, it's my third highest of the season. I've got this at number six. I st- Like it's still... wow. But again, like it's still one of those ones that even in three seasons time, when you've moved on to a different season, you still remember the episode where Lynn died, the the episode where Tony quote dies. Like you still, this is a memorable episode. And that's where a lot of my rankings will come from. It's still a great episode. Yeah. It's got some problems. Yeah. I'm not okay with the ending, but again, it's still that vibe of it's executed perfectly. They just didn't stick the landing. 
So I think you can't take away from that. And it's still potentially a top five scene just in the emotion. So yeah, I've got it at number six. And overall, this will still end up in my top 10. This ends up at 10th overall of all 216 episodes. So it's still a great episode. Um, But yeah, and I will say that there's only one more episode this season that will... That's it. We're done. That's it. Uh, That will go above this episode in terms of uh, rankings. So only one more. I don't think it's going to be next week. No. Um, although Definitely next week we next are going to get uh, our, another returning cast member. DB Woodside! Uh, somebody who hasn't been here since episode one of the season, Phantom I guess. DB Woodside is <laughs> Cha-Cha Binks. <laughs> uh, but also just, just sort of reading up. Like, to me, there's nothing particularly memorable about this episode other than the fact that we're definitely going to start finding how how we're connecting the dots to Ben's favorite torture scene of the season. Uh, that's going to be introduced oh, next week uh, through Colette. God. So her importance is going to uh, start being revealed and it will lead to uh, something that I forgot was even part of the season that uh, Ben has reminded me of and is not looking forward to. No, it's um, it's it's a, it's a one of the worst things in 24, I think. that the, Like, I see why they do it, but it's just, I hate it. I hate it so much. But yeah, I actually, I always think that this sort of Colette, Henry and Cusick thing's always in it for a lot longer, but it's only like two episodes. Yeah. Because Henry and Cusick, next week's I think his last episode, which again, I'll have problems around how they end it and never bring him back. But yeah, no, I, I, I hate the fact that they, I, what I think, I think Kate Mara's first episode is that episode where the Audrey Jack torture stuff happens. So it's, it's slightly better. That's not a binnable episode. Still. Spoiler alert. I still think I buy that episode. I just hate that storyline. Um, But yeah, no, there's still some interest. Like it's, I like kind of the stuff around the wet list and kind of the the German intelligence. It's kind of like a different thread that they could have explored, but they don't really go further with. But DB Woodside coming back. Who doesn't want a bit of DB? We lose C. Thomas, we get DB. We get all the initials back. (laughs) CDB. I think we 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 talk about why these people have the initials because like somebody else in Hollywood has that name. You have to just have a variation in it. Uh, But are there really a lot of other... D Woodside's what what is DB Woodside's first name? David. Are there a lot of David Woodside's out there? Uh, Donald, what is it? David Ben Woodside. I don't know. Like, but it, I, I will say, I mean, it does. It stands out. You like if he was just David Woodside, yeah. like you'd be like, oh, cool, he's a good actor. But he's DB Woodside. Like, I mean, you you remember that name, right? Just like C Thomas Howell. What's what's the name? CCH Pounder or whatever name is. Like you remember oh, that yeah. name. <laughs> like that's a name. That's a Hollywood name, right? Like to me, like. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit wanky, but if I started calling myself BJ Waterworth, I think, well, that sounds a bit <laughs> off. Hey, that Waterworth, he gives, gives a good, good BJ. It's a sex joke, Colin, look it up. Um, <laughs> you'd remember me more. BJ Waterworth, old Benny J. There he is. What's your middle name? Uh, I got two of them, William and Patrick. That's all right. So you could be C. Colin W.P. Hilding. C.W.P. Hilding. There he is. <laughs> C.W.P. C.W.P. Sounds like a network. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. We are C.W.P. The reboot of Seventh Heaven, only on C.W.P. <laughs> this week on C.W.P., B.J. Waterworth stars as <laughs> MacGyver. Uh, so stay tuned for that next week. And uh, I, by the time you're listening to this, I don't know if we've gotten to our uh, spoiler-free review of Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, uh, which just during this episode recording, I've already had somebody text me saying, hey, do you have plans to go see Mission Impossible? I've already got my tickets, and I'm already making plans for a second or third viewing, so I'll probably have seen it two or three times by the time this episode comes out. Uh, also, we got, uh, was it the Truman Show this week or Mrs. Doubtfire? Mrs. Doubtfire came out this week. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire came out last week. Colin, the Truman Show. The Truman Show. Yes. 
Truman Show, uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I, I was this close to buying a 4K copy of it because I, I wanted to get one anyways. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be covering it. But I'm like, ah, do I need to spend that money when I can already stream it? Uh, but uh, amazing movie. And uh, it's Jim Carrey. It's funny that that's considered a drama because I still say nowadays you'd probably release that as a comedy. But this is, uh, I think, only our second Jim Carrey movie ever after The Grinch. Yeah. Look, I, 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 would, I would labor it more of a drama. I, uh, I think it definitely falls into that. And to me, to this day, one of the biggest travesties in life is that he did not get an Oscar for this movie. And I will spend a good portion of that movie saying how bullshit that decision was. Um, I, I don't know. Did Ed Harris get nominated? Ed, Ed Harris got nominated. Um, but yeah. I believe that Jim Carrey became the first ever Golden Globe winner for best drama, uh, best actor in a drama to not even be nominated. Um, and mm -hmm. I do implore you to find that speech when he presented an award at the Oscars that year where he kind of poked <laughs> fun at it. Uh, I remember that. Quite, quite funny. But uh, we also, I think, around about this time as well, should have uh, potentially a Barbie review and an Oppenheimer review. They're all about the same time, right? So... I just entered a competition to win tickets to see Oppenheimer, so we'll see if I don't have to pay for it. But Barbie... And if if we're lucky, there'll be cameos in both. Barbie will be in Oppenheimer, and Oppenheimer will be in Barbie. Barbie's the bomb. She's just like, <laughs> hi, I'm Barbie. Uh, or Oppenheimer is the did, real Ken. Did you see Killian that? Like, Murphy would have made a great Ken. Martell or whatever, whatever they call Mattel, they came out during the week and said, you have got like 48 movies planned for all of our characters. <laughs> Are there 48 different Mattel toys? Like Mr. Potato Head franchise? Like, um, I don't know. Oh, I thought you just meant the Barbie universe alone. Like, oh, we're going to do Blonde Barbie, and then we're going to do the the Beach Barbie, and we're going to do uh, uh, Prison Escape Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of um, Rat Race. Dad, a Barbie museum, and it's like the Hitler Barbie or whoever it was. <laughs> Remember that? I want them to do that with John Levitz coming back. I'm prairie dogging it. Hitler Barbie, the motion picture, the sequel in the Mattel universe. Um, maybe there's Amazing Race Canada. Uh, we'll see. Uh, so we got stuff coming out. And then next week we get to um, talk about D.B. Woodside. D.B. Woodside. And all other great initials. Uh, my name is Colin and hurry up. And my name is Ben and sir, this is Harry Swinton. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff yes, yes sir do you like having access to your favorite podcast hosts in a way like never before yeah absolutely do you wish you had access to our old survivor oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online oh yeah if you answered yes to one two or all of those questions then get excited because the oz network is now on patreon <laughs> 
That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. (laughs) 